Isn't it wonderful to sing God's praises? We've already been reminded this morning, our hearts filled with His joy and love, singing these truths. Sinners find eternal joy in the triumph of our Savior's wounds. And that's in Christ's living and suffering. There was never trace nor stain of sin. It was the Father's plan to bring many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured, love untold. Now from singing the truths of Christ, His gospel, His love for us, and praying for the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, I ask that you'll take your Bibles now and turn in God's Word to Psalm 72 to hear what God has written for us. Psalm 72. And as you turn there, just so we are all on the same page as we go through this psalm, your faith needs this psalm. So I invite you to follow along as I read. Of Solomon. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruits be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the fields. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever, may the whole earth be filled with with His glory. Amen and Amen. Prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Let's go to God once again. Father God, as we turn now to the preaching of Your Word, I pray that You will open ears, that You will 
open our eyes. Father, that you will give hearts to receive this good news. Father, I pray that you will use this word to build us up, to strengthen us as your people. And may we be obedient to what you have said, and may we walk in your ways always. Father, I ask that you will help me not to speak in error, but your truths will be heard by your people, and we will become more like Christ. It's in your holy name I pray. Amen. Back in March, when we first encountered COVID-19, you'll remember we were going through the book of 2 Timothy, a series I entitled, Persevering in the Gospel. Rightly fitting as the virus sprang upon us to persevere in the Gospel. Staying focused on the good news of Christ. Not letting anything deter us, not even the threat of a pandemic. When it began, maybe you thought by now we'd be past wearing masks and observing social distance, but we're not. Not only facing a pandemic, we didn't know where we would be as a country and what all we're facing now, what's occurred over the last few months, but God did. God knew, and He's guiding us. As I thought about what series to do after 2 Timothy, I've been thinking about doing a summer series through the Psalms for some time. I heard from fellow pastors, dear brothers, who have taken their churches through the Psalms every summer. They spoke about how good it was as a church to go through the Psalms. They spoke of the church becoming more familiar with the Psalms and for themselves the challenge of preaching through the book. There's value for everyone in the book of Psalms and there's personal growth. So I prayed and I began to look into it and I thought in the midst of a pandemic this would be good. The Psalms are full of reasons to praise God and to trust Him no matter what. Not knowing that a pandemic is not all that we would face. But God did. He's not surprised by anything. In our summer series through the Psalms, we've looked at Psalm 1 and 2 that that introduce the book to us. They tell of the greatness of God's Word and how the Psalms and really the whole Bible ultimately point to Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at Psalm 8, speaking of the great majesty of God's name, how marvelous He is, and how Christ brings us into the presence of God, into fellowship with Him, and His name deserves to be praised. You'll remember when I announced this summer series in the Psalms, I gave you a list of Psalms that we'd be going through, and I wanted to give you a taste of the Psalms from each of the five books of the book of Psalms. You can take the whole book of Psalms and it's broken down into five books. And so I wanted us to see a Psalm in in each of those. And Psalm 72 is the next Psalm in this series. It's the last Psalm in the second book. It's a royal Psalm. Meaning it speaks of a coming king that saves God's people and rules over them with love 
and justice and peace. God does love us. In his wisdom, he knew that we would need to go through a psalm like this and understand it. You see, in Psalm 72, there are massive implications. The psalm is extremely relevant to what we're facing today, both in our culture and in our church and even in our personal lives. I didn't know what all we'd be facing when choosing this psalm, but again, God did. This week, I've been doing a lot of reading and research on all that we face, all the national issues before us. Many of us are aware of the news. This year seems to be adding more and more to what we have to deal with. A pandemic that is real and needs to be taken seriously. Yet it seems there are those who have taken this and hyping it up for political reasons. Some churches being restricted and in some places closed or threatened with lawsuits or fines and utilities shut off. What seems like a targeted or maybe at best hypocritical treatment. Yet the threat of this virus is real. There's the real heartbreaking news of black men and women facing racism. Lawful protest in response trying to raise awareness and activism to stopping it. This constitutional right and good intention is being hijacked by anarchists and rioters who seek to destroy the fundamental institutions of our society. Parental rights being attacked, young people being caught up in violence that has many concerns. Schools and education becoming a political football, marriage being redefined, the church being ostracized. We are facing serious issues on a scale many of us have not experienced before. Many were just simply unknown to us just a few months ago. From all of this, there's a fear that's running rampant in our society today. And it has infiltrated the church. On the flip side... Some now see discernment for safety and sensitivity toward others, to, toward brothers and sisters, as maybe a weakness, and they've cast it off as beneath them. Now, you and I don't know how much longer this pandemic will last. We can't see the end state of all the riots around the country. Civil liberties and constitutional rights are being eroded. We don't know how much further there's an unsureness an uncertainty and it's it's mind-boggling and for some it's frightening so how should the church respond to all of this how are we to take all this in how are we as god's people to react what are we to do Well, for such a time as this, we've been given Psalm 72. 
Thankfully, you and I are never left on our own. God, in his sovereign wisdom and his goodness, has given you and I solid ground to stand on in these very times. As his people, you and I are given the great, unshakable assurance that Jesus Christ is king. That Jesus Christ is the ruler. I want us to quickly look at the end of this psalm. Follow along as I read the last three verses again. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. This psalm looks to a day when the glory of the king will fill the earth. It gives us the picture of the ideal king. A king whose name gives strength to his people and fear to his enemies. A king who provides and who satisfies. A king who lifts up the needy. He doesn't overlook them. He bends down and he brings them up. He's a king that brings justice and all that is right is upheld and kept and respected. This king does not have a name in this psalm. He is a Davidic king, meaning he is from the line of King David. You'll notice that in the title of the psalm, it says, of Solomon. Then at the end, as I just read, it says the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So which is it? Is it a psalm written by David for his son? Or is it by Solomon about his own reign? It's hard to tell. Good Bible scholars differ on this, but ultimately it really doesn't matter. Because you will see that this is really a psalm about the Lord Jesus Christ. While the New Testament does not quote this psalm anywhere, we know that it points to Jesus Christ. This exalted king and the blessings of his reign are so vast and royally extravagant that no human could possibly achieve what's said here. So the question is then, is this psalm about a king in the country of Israel? Or does it speak of someone who is so great and so wonderful that it can't be a person like you and me. This person, this king in Psalm 72, must be a divine person. God is telling us of a great king who rules his kingdom. And every Christian knows that this is the kingdom of Christ. King Jesus is on his throne. Nothing in this life shall come against it. It speaks of the reign that is endless and no person who's ever lived or who ever will live can achieve this. So let this psalm sink in this morning. Let it help you overcome any fear or anxiety about the uncertainty 
of today. And let it take you to Christ. Let it take you to his footstool at the foot of his throne. May it help you think of the reign of God in Christ, the Messiah King. And may this prayer of David become your prayer. Nothing in this life can take away who we are in Christ and what we have in his kingdom. To sum up this psalm in a phrase, it says, God's righteous king, Jesus Christ, rules gloriously. God's righteous king, Jesus Christ, rules gloriously. David tells us how Jesus rules in his kingdom, and he gives five descriptions of that kingdom. Now keep in mind, David did not know he was writing specifically about Christ, but we do because of who Christ is. And so as David writes, we know that his words are giving us five traits of what we enjoy being part of Christ's kingdom. I'll read them off and then we'll go through each of them one by one. We know that Christ rules in righteousness. That his reign is forever. That his kingdom stretches everywhere. That it's a redemptive kingdom. And he blesses all who are part of it. And then David gives a doxology in verses 18 and 19 that concludes this wonderful portrait of Christ's kingdom. Christ's kingdom is one that has justice and peace. And his glory is the pride of of the kingdom. He destroys the oppressor and at the same time the land is productive and full of peace for God's people. All of this giving us different aspects of Christ's rule. The picture before us this morning is that Christ is a righteous king. That he's an eternal king. He's a universal king. He's a compassionate king, and he is a blessed king. I want to show you how I got to see in the psalm as pointing to Christ's kingship. If you will, keep your your thumb at Psalm 72 and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. You'll see that here in Isaiah chapter 11, the same theme here that's in Psalm 72. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. 
Do you see the same picture here of Christ as King? Isaiah 11 is heard every year around Christmas time, and it should be. The stomp of Jesse, a descendant of David, rising up to rule God's people. That same theme that we sing at Christmas time is seen in this psalm. Jesus Christ is King. So the first description given in verses 1 through 4 of this psalm is Christ's righteous rule. These first four verses tell us that God's righteousness will be the ground upon which the kingdom is built. It begins as a prayer. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Righteousness is repeated three times in verses 1 and then verse 2 and then again in verse 3. Verse 1, that God's righteousness will be given to the king. In verse 2, that the king will judge the people with that righteousness. In verse 3, the blessings of that righteousness will be given to the people and enjoyed. The fruit of righteousness will be shared. It's a petition for the king to rule with justice and make right decisions. Now, before we go any further, this is a great prayer to pray for our leaders today. To go to God knowing that He raises kings and He lowers them, the leaders of our, God, of our government need our prayers. Regardless of what party they're in, we need to pray that they govern with justice and make right decisions. Now righteousness, like I said, is repeated three times in these verses. It's important. Justice and righteousness are related. Righteousness is always doing what is right. God is the standard for what is right. He determines it and He always does what He says is right. Speaking about God, Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, All His ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. Justice is ruling with a love for what is good and right. It's seeing right triumph over wrong. This is who God is. Solomon, King Solomon, he ruled this way in his early years. When he was younger, he was known to be a righteous king. He loved God. He walked in obedience to Him. He asked God to give him wisdom so that he would know the difference between good and evil and govern God's people rightly. God told him as long as he walked in his ways, Solomon would have a great wisdom unlike any other. And God would give him riches and honor so no other king could compare to him. Now sadly, we know that Solomon turned from God. He did not live in that righteousness. He followed other gods. Temptations and corruption got a hold 
of Solomon's heart. He even began to oppress the people with high taxes in order to sustain his own lifestyle. This was the wisest man who ever lived. And he didn't live this out. No leader ever governs rightly all the time. Human kingdoms and rulers are flawed. We cannot and should not put our hope into human kingdoms and human rulers. Why? Because sin is always present. It's always present. There ends up being injustice. They always will let us down at some point. But Jesus fulfills this prayer. Not one mark of injustice will ever be on King Jesus. Jesus' righteousness far exceeds every idea that any ruler could ever have. All throughout history, there have been kings and there have been rulers who defend what's right. They've stood up for those who are unjustly treated, but only Jesus makes people righteous. What was absent in the world is now living within God's people because of Christ dying on the cross for their sins, giving them His righteousness. His righteousness is making all things right. Justice is achieved, and His people enjoy the fruit of it. Notice in verse 2, the king judges with justice. And in verse 4, he delivers the needy and he crushes the oppressor. Jesus came to rescue the afflicted, the needy, the poor in spirit. He's defeated the one who oppressed us and all who will oppress us. He reigns in righteousness and he cares for you and me. There's no other justice like this. There is no other justice that is righteous. We can work hard for what we see is justice, but it will never compare to this. The world is unjust, and every person is unrighteous. And one day we will all face a king who judges rightly. And that king who's perfect in all his ways has said his judgment is coming for every unrighteous person. Yet for all who repent and believe in that king, they will be shown mercy. They will be saved. He will defend them. They will bear his righteousness. They will be delivered into his everlasting kingdom. Christ is that king. He rules with righteousness and compassion and is both just and the justifier. Christ's rule is righteous. I spent a lot of time on this first trait 
because it upholds all the others. It holds up the other four traits. So let me go more quickly through the rest. Next we see in verses 5 through 7 that Christ's reign is eternal. So Christ's rule is righteous. And now we see in verses 5 through 7 that Christ's reign is eternal. The picture we're given is the sun rising every day and then the moon at night. Ever since creation, this has happened. Day after day after day, the sun shines brightly. Even when there's clouds and we can't see the sun, it's still there giving daylight. And the moon at night lighting up the sky. The prayers for the king to sit on his throne forever. His rule is to be refreshing like rain on the grass. Now remember what region of the world this was written from. In the Middle East, in Israel, much of the ground is parched. Much of the ground is really dry. And when it rains, it springs forth life. It replenishes the land. This prayer is for the king's rule to last forever and may it be ever so gentle and caring that the people welcome it and they want more of it. It refreshes them. David told Solomon to rule this way in 2 Samuel. But neither David nor Solomon lasted. What's behind this psalm? is that we need to see God's promise here to David that a son will sit on the throne forever. All throughout the Old Testament, God's people were looking for a king that would rule forever like this. Zechariah prophesied in chapter 9, beginning in verse 9, that a king would come who's righteous having salvation. He would be humble and riding on a donkey, speaking peace to the nations. Because of the blood of the covenant, prisoners would be set free. The land would would be restored. It would be restored. They would never hunger or thirst because God would protect them and save them. Jesus, we're told in Matthew 21, fulfills this prophecy, the king riding on a donkey, giving life to his people. And his kingly rule is forever. Plumer, in his commentary, states that life, peace, and joy have been poured into our hearts. Life, peace, and joy have been poured into our hearts. No matter what you face, all who are in Christ have within them life that is replenishing you. This peace that is not determinant upon what you face. It's an everlasting peace. And it's a joy that comes from Christ. And it's His joy. We who are in Christ have been given an everlasting King whose reigns Forever, with such love and care, and we delight in his rule. Third, 
Christ's kingdom is universal. So Christ's rule is righteous. It's an eternal rule. And now we see that His kingdom is universal. It's boundless. In verse 8, it says, From sea to sea, to the ends of the earth. In other words, Christ is a cosmic king. It's an endless rule that He has. It's never ceasing. He is sovereign over all things. The dominion of Christ stretches to the ends of the earth. Solomon's kingdom stretched. He actually extended it from what God gave to King David. And Solomon's kingdom stretched from the Euphrates to the Mediterranean. This kingdom that's being spoken of here that the psalmist writes of extends beyond that to the desert tribes and beyond from sea to sea. All the great kings of Tarshish and Sheba and Seba, they bow down to him and they serve him. This is a worldwide king who rules everywhere and who rules everyone, all places and all people. No one is outside of this king's righteous rule. You see, the sovereignty of God in Christ is absolute, meaning it's universal. Many have tried. You go back in history and you'll see many have tried to have the largest kingdoms and empires, but they've all failed. None of them ruled this way. Our king is the king above all kings. One day, every knee will bow and confess Christ is king. This prayer asks God for a king that is righteous, that his reign is forever, and whose kingdom is everywhere. And God gave us his son, Jesus Christ, as that king. Christ is supreme. He is absolute in his sovereignty. Revelation 11.15 says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Next, we see the nature of Christ's kingdom in verses 12 through 14. It's a redemptive kingdom. Christ, this absolute sovereign who rules over all creation, who has an everlasting dominion. He's a compassionate king. We've already seen that he protects the weak and defends the helpless. In verses 12 to 14, this is taken further. Other rulers have been known to be kind and generous at times. Most aren't. But some have. And the reason most aren't and only some have and that doesn't always last is that we live in a world full of sin. And most rulers have led without any thought of God. We can point to those in history that show glimpses of compassion and generosity, but they're far and few and they never, ever do it completely. 
Usually there's something in it for them to gain from. No one has been like this all the time. Yet, look with me in verse 12. In the ESV, it says, For He delivers the needy when He calls. Or maybe your version says, He shall deliver or He will deliver. These are absolutes. This is constant. It's a constant guarantee. Christ delivers His people. We receive help. All of us who are in the kingdom, we're in danger of death. But Christ has saved us from that danger. All of us are in need and God provides. And He protects us. There is nothing in this world that will take us out of His hand. This is what we sang earlier. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from His hand. Till He returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I stand. And of course, this comes from the great passage in Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The compassionate rule of Christ keeps you and I safe and it brings us into his kingdom where we'll be forever he gives us compassion and he showed it when he went to the cross for us the most perfect display of compassion where he he took our sins he bore our sins and he he set us free our punishment He endured, and His victory is now what you and I enjoy. His love is what we have now. His rule for us to live and follow and be at peace. Don't let anyone tell you that your faith is just a feeling or that it's subjective. Don't give in to today's attack on the church. Faith is not a personal subjective feeling. It is not merely a religious commitment. Faith is connected intrinsically with the truth. The Bible never asks you to have blind faith. There's no such thing as blind faith. It says to believe in the eternal, unchanging truth about King Jesus and His kingdom. What He did on the cross was done for you. Verse 14 tells us that He redeems life. He redeems it. He rescues His people. He has spared us eternal grief and shame. Jesus is the perfect king 
Because he's righteous, because he's just, and he's compassionate. His reign will never end. He brings redemption and blessing of eternal life to all his people. Lastly, Christ's rule is a blessing. As if what we've already gone through is not enough. We're told Christ's rule is a blessing. He blesses all who are part of it. The picture given in verses 15 to 17 are amazing. The gold of Sheba, the grain, and the fruit that fills up to the mountaintops. Now, grain and fruit don't normally grow up on the tops of mountains, but in this kingdom, they do. The land and the people flourish. In ancient times, gold, grain, and fruit were symbols of great times. This is not saying that Christians always enjoy great times in life. We face a lot of difficulties today. What it is saying is that we are blessed beyond measure of any success and any prosperity that's measured here on earth. We have eternal life in a kingdom of our glorious king that goes on forever and ever. And that blessing of eternal life never ends. It never ends. We are blessed beyond measure. And we don't have to wait until one day you and I have been given portions of it. Now we have life right now and we will one day enjoy this life in all its fullness when our king returns. Then the doxology in verses 18 and 19 conclude this wonderful picture of Christ's kingdom. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Baptist Seminary, says, while you and I are strangers and exiles on earth, we must not exile ourselves, and we certainly must not retreat into silence while God has given us a platform, a voice to speak the truth, and He's given us opportunity. You and I need to speak about King Jesus to tell of his wonderful, righteous kingdom. So many people today will know and more will believe that Jesus Christ is their king, that he's their savior and ruler. What a glorious king you and I have. For our song of response, we're going to be singing a song that was written by Isaac Watts entitled, Jesus Shall Reign with music from the Gettys. Isaac Watts wrote that song from this song. As we sing it in just a few moments, follow the words that, are, that were written for us and that we sing. Follow along and then rest in the everlasting kingship of our Lord. No pandemic. 
no violence, no political upheaval, nor persecution can stop or break the reign of Jesus Christ. He shall have dominion that's everlasting. He reigns, and we're going to sing this, people and realms of every tongue dwell on his love with sweetest song, and infant and voices shall proclaim their early blessings on his name. To our King be highest praise. Rising through eternal days, just and faithful, he shall reign. Jesus shall reign. Let's pray.